right, welcome again to another Stargate Sunday. I am Kevin. This is Ryan. I'm Ryan. Yes. Woohoo! Woohoo! We're into the meat and potatoes of the first season. This uh, this is about the halfway point almost. Technically, nice. it's nice. Uh, episode ten. Uh, the next episode will technically be the exact halfway point, but we're in there. We're in there. Um, let's see here. This episode is going to be. Thor's hammer. Did you? Uh, how'd you enjoy this one, there, Ray? Oh, I thought it was great. It was also, a really solid episode. Yeah, yeah. You see how excellent they are becoming, and the reason it's such a popular show. No, uh, definitely the reason that they got a second season for sure. Oh yeah, by this by this point, they definitely should have gotten a second season if they hadn't already signed on for multiple seasons. All right, so. Um, We'll start off with the uh, the episode. Technically, it's season one, episode ten. We'll have it listed as season one, episode nine because it's the ninth episode on on Netflix. But let's not get into that. The name of the episode is obviously Thor's Hammer. The original air date September twenty sixth, nineteen ninety seven. Do you wonder what you were doing? Now, uh, awkward, awkward teenager stuff for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, I I just wonder why they didn't like refer to it as as Mjolnir at like any point in the show uh they did once and i don't think they pronounced it right personally but i'll i'll get to that so nothing actually good happened uh in 1997 on september the 26th or the preceding or uh succeeding days it's just like the only thing that really happened was some sort of um genocide and i didn't really want to mention that it's kind of depressing <laughs> it's just some light genocide you know yeah. not anything that's really upsetting no i didn't really want to mention that because it's very upsetting it's kind of depressing but um yeah so nothing good history wise happened on that date except of course stargate got released that day um in video game history however there was a little game called ultima online oh ever heard of it I have heard of it. Well, it's one of the original um, massively multiplayer online role-playing games. Uh, it was released September the 24th, 1997, uh, and it is still running today. Wow. I yeah. never played that one, actually, but I'm aware of it. No. It is currently still running, obviously not in its original form, although I do hear they're trying to create legacy servers and stuff like that. But Okay. It's been extand- expanded several hundred times since, um, but still going, still going strong, kind of like World of Warcraft, sort of. Uh, so, I, uh, time will tell. Uh, <laughs> I, like, I, I was really into MMOs when I was a teen, like a, a, a teen, uh, when you, know, you had when you dial did, up to get when you had actual time. Yeah, when you had actual time and like, you know you could coordinate stuff and not be like, oh shit, I've got to work at eight o'clock in the morning because my schedule is random as shit. And like, you know, so you obviously can't do four in the morning or up till four in the morning. MMO. Not in time unless you want to questing. Like shit at work. Yeah. Yeah. I remember those days. I'd be up playing wrath of the Lich King for hours. Yeah, and there, then... uh, was, there was like a, a, a MMO I played that was like, it was like a, a cyber, like a futuristic one, or you could be like a, a kung fu artist, but it was like a, a, almost like Deus Ex. I can't remember the name of it, 
uh, which shows you the, the, the supreme quality of it. But uh, I was like super into it. Sounds interesting. We'll have to look that one up. Um, yeah, I'll have to find it at some point. There was another game called Postal that came out. It looked familiar, mm-hmm. but I I couldn't really couldn't really. Uh, you don't it. know Postal? No. It Postal looked familiar. was the uh, controversial, the big big controversial game uh, during like the mid early nineties, uh, just because it's like it, it's based on like pure mayhem. So like it allows you to like go out and you know shoot civilians before that was really a thing. Like, and, like Grand Theft Auto almost. Yes, but there was, like, Grand Theft Auto, you can, you know, say, oh, I'm you know, I'm robbing people or whatever. This is, like, just literally, like, oh, straight up, I just feel like murdering people, uh, which, you know. Interesting. It made, made people who don't understand that, like, it's just a video game. It's really not going to inspire So violence. what you're saying is this is the... This is the moms against video video game violence. Um, oh yeah, for sure. This oh. this would be uh, one of the ones that they right uh, at the top of their know, list. As an example, yeah, yeah, that makes but, sense. Like as usual, you know, like if you watch the news, the news is a thousand times more violent than any video game. Hundred percent, one hundred percent. But yeah, postal. It looks sort of like the art, the artistry on the actual video game poster reminds me of Kermageddon. Did you ever play that? Oh, yeah. Uh, I didn't play that. I played Twisted Metal. Twisted Metal, yeah. I loved Carmageddon. That was a real fun game. That's back when the games actually allowed you to unlock extras. And nowadays, you just pay for the extras. Yeah. Like, what the hell is the point? I know some I know, games... It was, will... it was so exciting to to see, like, the silhouette of the thing you could unlock. Mm. And, like, you know, once you got it, you're like, oh, shit, this thing's so cool. Yeah, I just, like nowadays they kind of do a hybrid version of that, except for like EA, who is all pay to play, oh. but yeah, they do a hybrid version where they'll let you buy the DLC, but you still have to unlock some stuff while playing the game, and I, I get mean, it. at that point, it's like, just give it to me then. Just, yeah, just make me pay for an expanded, like... If I'm paying for it, just give it to me. Yeah. If I'm paying for it, the only reason I should pay extra is if you've made a new expansion of some sort. And then that's got new content, and I should yeah. be paying for the extra content. Exactly. Like, um, like I get it. Like uh, Borderlands. Borderlands does a really good job with that, where they have, yeah, they have cosmetic packs that you can buy, or you can ignore that, and you can just buy the content packs, like, uh, you know, the Tiny Tina's. Uh, not Wonderlands. That's a new game. Uh, yeah. The the original one, um, which was just an add on. It was just an add on to one of the games, and it was like its whole unique thing. It was cool, and you know, it they have a, a bunch like that. So I'd say uh, Borderlands is one of the ones that did it right. Yeah, unless you get horse armor, you know. <laughs> you know about the horse armor? I'm not even going to talk about the horse armor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. Postal was um, it sounded like an interesting video game. Probably should look it up see if there's an emulator out there. I think there's actually a newer one that came out. Did see that there was a series of games all the way up to at least Postal Four. Yeah, I think that one's pretty recent actually. But other than that, there was another one called Lego Island. It looks like uh, Minecraft before Minecraft, although obviously yeah. it was all Legos. Also, if if you've if you've ever if you look up 
pictures of it right now, Rai. It looks an awful light. Like, the graphics remind me of Reboot, the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It looks 100% yeah, it looks like, like, uh, like Reboot. Reboot before the Reboot. But, uh, yeah, Reboot's a good good show. If you can ever find it, go ahead and watch that. That was a great show. That'll teach you a lot about different things in terms of uh, computers. It'll at least teach you about computer language, which is kind of fun. Not necessarily like like scripting yeah, language or things like that. I'm talking about like relevant to to now, but it's it's good. I mean, technically, uh, mainframes still exist. They're used in big business uh, ventures like banks and stuff. They're considered slightly more secure. However, you can actually watch it on the Roku channel. Ooh, there's a Roku channel dedicated to reboot. I don't think it's dedicated to reboot. I think it's just. You know, Don't get my hopes up like that. And just you can watch it on uh, Amazon Prime Video for free. Oh, as part for of the free. Prime Video, yeah. It okay. says free. It says free. Or as part of the Prime included with. Prime. Uh, it didn't say subscription. It says free. Okay, cool, nice. Yeah, check that out. That's a uh, homework for everyone. You definitely need to watch that. It's a good show. Yeah, um, I actually watched uh, the episode uh, Thor's Hammer on Pluto TV this time. Oh, nice. Now, how does that work on Roku? I don't actually have a Roku. Do you get to choose? I don't know. I don't have Roku either. I plan on getting it, but I haven't gotten it. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. All right. In TV history, at the time, uh, Jeopardy was just airing its 3,000th syndicated episode. Oh! 3,000th. In 1997. I can't imagine the exorbitant number that they're currently at. I don't even want to think about it. Wow. R.I.P. Alex Trebek. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think they're they're still trying to figure out who's going to take over, right? I think they're still back and forth with a bunch of uh, actors. Not I mean, actors, I, I would I would interim really like to see LeVar Burton. I would love to see LeVar Burton. LeVar Burton is a staple of my childhood. Yeah. Uh, not only did I watch him in The Next Generation, but I was a huge fan of um, Reading Rainbow. Oh, I, yeah. I wanted to I say the nothing. Rainbow Connection for some reason. <laughs> but no, Reading, Ra- <laughs> Reading Rainbow was yeah. a great show when I was a kid. The world needs more LeVar. Uh, yeah, it needs more Reading Rainbow. For sure. Movie history. A couple of movies that I saw that came out were The Peacemaker, George Clooney, Nicole Kidman, uh, and Trojan War. Uh, so Trojan War is actually quite a funny um, movie. It, it's uh, Will Friedell and Jennifer Love Hewitt. You would think that that would be a pretty big blockbuster movie at the time. Right, yeah. Made $309 in ticket sales. <laughs> and the, the, the reason for that is it was only shown at one movie theater in the U.S. Possibly. What? I didn't get the backstory for why it was only shown at one movie theater in the U.S., but could be because it was too racy for the, the time period. You ever seen you ever seen Sex Drive? Uh yes. Okay. Where a kid goes on this long road trip to basically he, he thinks a, he's hooking up with uh his internet girlfriend. Yeah, and it seems like he's going through all of these crazy ridiculous situations that he gets himself into. That's kind of like what Trojan War is. Will Friedle and Jennifer Love Hewitt are about to knock boots. Or actually, no, not not Jennifer Love Hewitt, sorry. 
she's the the best friend in the in the waiting in the wings. Will Friedle is going to hook up with this his uh, lifelong crush, and she's ready. She's willing. She's like, yeah, sure, we'll do it. And but you got to have condoms. And he goes on this ridiculous several hour trip trying to get a hold of condoms, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some hijinks. It sounded funny. I would totally watch it, but I'm a sucker for Will Friedle in general. Uh, for those who don't know Will Friedle, the brother Eric Matthews on uh, Boy Meets World, or the voice of Ron Stoppable in Kim Possible. All these vectors to Boy Meets World. Yeah, so Trojan War sounds like a pretty decent movie, at least for a good laugh. It's an hour and a half. I mean, it, it sounds like all these like you know coming-of-age movies. Like Sex Drive or um, Euro Tour. Yeah, there's so many of so many movies exactly like that plot, but I think this might be the first, and it didn't make any money. No, no, it did not. Ah, uh, so let's get to the writer and director of this episode. Um, the main writer, uh, guess who it is, Ryan? Uh, it's Catherine Powers. It's Catherine Powers. Surprisingly, for those you, yes. For those of you who do not know. Catherine Powers is the writer of Emancipation. If you didn't uh, watch that or listen to that episode of our podcast, we did not care for that episode. Yeah, this gonna is give a you podcast. the dignified episode. Yeah, I'm gonna give you the dignified short version. We did not care for that episode. It's also voted as the least favorite, but this one, however, is voted very, very favorably. I enjoy this episode. I love it. So she's got a bit of a redeeming quality in this particular episode. It it feels like it was written by someone else, honestly. It feels like it was written by someone else, but she did not steal this from somebody. This is all and her. She didn't steal it from herself, so <laughs> there wait, you go. Wait. She's a pretty prominent writer in Stargate SG One, so you're gonna find out that most of her episodes are actually pretty good. She just I, sort I, of started I, off it, really cheaply. I I just don't understand how she could have started at that point like did she just like say yeah i'll write that script and then forget and then like get a call from them and be like oh yeah when are you getting the script uh uh, uh. <laughs> i think i i think she has nowhere to go but up in our eyes at least or at least your eyes yeah i mean if if uh it's more like this then great Oh yeah, there's another episode called Thor's Chariot in the second season. She also writes that one, and we get to revisit Samaria. Now, I thought this was interesting. The way they spell Samaria is um, uh, the same way that they spell uh, Samaria in Conan, Conan the Barbarian. I also noticed that, and it's actually written as a fun fact on the Stargate wiki. People have pointed that out before. I'm glad you picked it out on your own, though. Yeah, I love me some Conan. I'm proud of you. Oh, <laughs> thanks, bud. But yes, no, that's uh, yeah. People have made that connection before, and cool. Cool, cool. I mean, it only helps, doesn't it? Can't hurt. Yeah, I mean, like I imagine, you know, somewhere out there, there's uh, you know, Conan walking through a a marketplace, sword strapped to his back, ready to mess up some goons, and then seize he, some treasure, and, and then he fondly looks over this episode and says, "Yes, yes, we'll have some of that." <laughs> yes. Bring me a gould. I will destroy him. So, uh, this is her second main writing credit, uh, but third writing credit overall, as we know she 
uh, wrote the teleplay for the last episode. As far as writing goes, I I think she killed it on this episode. She did a great job. Oh yeah, so, so she's definitely it, redeeming. Great. Um, the director Brad Turner. Uh, this is his first directing credit for SG One. Uh, he goes on to direct a lot of Stargate Atlantis um, and some more Stargate SG One in the future. So we're gonna see a little bit more of Brad Turner in the future, which is good. Oh, he also directed a bunch of Twenty Four. Yes, yes, I was That's just awesome. Just getting to that. I love Twenty Four. He did a lot of Twenty Four, like the like the last three seasons of Twenty Four. I think he did. He also did some stuff for The Outer Limits. The Outer Limits seems to be a very popular thing for them to grab directors and writers from, because so far I don't think that there hasn't been a single person we've mentioned who hasn't been credited on The Outer Limits for something. Uh, He did some stuff for Andromeda. Fun fact about Andromeda, the the woman in in that show? I can't remember her name. You know which one I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, he's he's still active right now. So he's he did two things this year, and he did a bunch of episodes for the the new MacGyver. Gotcha, yeah. But no, the um, uh, I guess the name of the character is Andromeda Ascendant, uh, played by Lexa Doig. Uh, Lexa Doig actually joins Stargate in the later seasons. Oh, uh, like seasons nine and ten, I think. Um, she also is married to Michael Shanks, who we know as Daniel Jackson. Oh. Okay. So <laughs> there you go. Very interesting. Yep. Still a spouse. Still a spouse. And they have a couple. Uh, they have one, two children. Two children. He did a lot of 24, like we just mentioned. He did some Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. too, uh, which I thought was cool because I'm a huge fan of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., even though I don't think it's canon anymore. Uh, and some Hawaii Five O. <laughs> yeah. So, so that guy's done. Yeah, like a whole bunch. Dude's got a lot of credits. A lot of credits. Let's get into the synopsis of the episode. Uh, I wrote my own this time because I'm sick and tired of doing the Stargate wikis. Dr. Daniel Jackson believes through his intense research that the gold are not the only aliens in the galaxy. Uh, There are, in fact, powerful new enemies... Sorry, powerful enemies of the gold hidden in our legends on Earth. Uh, Teal mentions a planet where the gold have forbidden them to go as no one ever comes back. When they arrive on the planet, Jack and Teal are pulled into a never-ending labyrinth where evil lurks round every corner. They must find their way out before they are lost forever. Oh, I should I should write for Netflix descriptions. Not yeah. so good. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't know where commas go. Commas are hard. <laughs> uh, you're questioning just add a comma yeah add just put comma. one you know what i'll put it in there uh so let's go over some characters and the places help you get ready for this story the planet uh license plate number ryan ready okay hit me with it hit me with that license plate uh, it's it's very confusing because stargate wiki says it's p3x974 and p3x794 what Exactly, and it I can't kind kind of find a consensus of where we are. I personally think that it's P3X974. There's a lot of people who seem to think that it's P3X794. They didn't. So. Did they mention it in the episode? I don't remember hearing it. Uh, I don't think they did. I don't remember them doing it. Uh, I can obviously look that up, but <clears throat> it seems that there's some confusion as to what the actual license plate number is, so... It's either nine seven four or seven nine four. 
well, what am I going to do with my life now? I know. It's it's going to be very confusing for you. Uh, at uh, least we know that this one has a name. It's Samaria. We already know this. We've established this. Um, the Samarians themselves, descendants of Northern Europeans slash uh, Norse Vikings, um, we come to find out that their planet is protected under the Protected Planets Treaty, the Asgard Hold with the Gawauld. I don't know if they mentioned that in this episode. It's not really that important um, for this episode, but it becomes a very prominent part of the story arc in general over the next several uh, seasons. Uh, prominent characters. Some really hard ones to pronounce, so give me... Mm-hmm. Give me a break here. <laughs> uh, I believe it's Garwin. Uh, she's portrayed by Tamson Kelsey, who was in Poltergeist, the Legacy TV series. Uh, MacGyver, because of course I have to mention every time someone's in MacGyver. MacGyver. Uh, Street Justice and The Commish. She was in a. Those oh. were her most prominent. In The Commish, nice. Yeah, she was. Those were her most prominent things. She was in a lot of episodes for both of those. Okay, okay. Um, she's the de facto leader of the Sumerians as her husband is taking Viking, as she called it. He's gone a Vikinger. He's gone Viking. And this episode, for them, means he's gone to town to find a job. Yeah, and not, you know, gone out murdering and stealing. Not I mean, pillaging, yeah, he, he plundering, left, he left raping. their whole ass village to go to get a job. I feel like that's, you know. For days on end, number yeah. one. For days on end. For days on end. Um, then there's Kendra. Uh, Kendra's portrayed by an actress by the name of Galen Gorg? Gorg? Jorg? I can't really pronounce that. Robocop 2. Point Break. Uh, Xena and Hercules. Those two 90s television shows with Lucy Lawless okay. and Kevin Sorbo. Uh, and believe it or not, she was in the Parks and Rec finale. Wow. The only episode of Parks and Rec she was in, but she was in the finale. Um, unfortunately, she's passed away recently, I believe, of cancer. Oh. Uh, unfortunate. She seemed like a very nice woman, and she wasn't that old. I believe only 55. Very oh, unfortunate. Pro- another prominent character, the uh, his name is Ruax. Um, Ruax is the gold slash Unis that we're going to meet in this episode. He was played by two characters. His body double, the one who played the, the stand-in character, was Vincent Hammond. Uh, he plays a lot of large creatures, uh, and he was actually a prop maker in the arts department for the Iron Man movie. Oh, nice. Uh, he also plays Unis, uh, plays an Unis three times in SG-1, so we'll see him again. Uh, the voice that we hear is, who is it, Ryan? It's James Earl Jones. James Earl <laughs> Jones. We're talking about... Sci-fi legend right there. James Earl Jones, who is Darth freaking Vader, uh, who plays the Unas in this episode. <laughs> it's pretty freaking cool that they were able to get someone like that. Especially so early on. It's nice when they get people like that, though. Makes me feel like I'm not wasting my time watching the show. Yeah, for I love, sure. I love this show so goddamn much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I think we figured that out, Kev. We're, we're doing a podcast about uh, it. Ah, yeah, you're telling me. So, uh, let's get into this episode. Here we go. Here we go. Opening to Daniel Jackson, having researched a little. I shouldn't say a little. He's researched quite a lot. 
um, and he's discovered that there may be another race of beings who's visited Earth in the past. He mentions a dichotomy of gods. Um, there's the one whose sole purpose was to control uh, and enslave and exert their control using their technology. I don't think he found this the, tech, the word technology, but obviously he's just making assumptions. He refers to them as the Etans. Uh, which we come to find out is the gold, or is the word for gold from the Sumerians. Now I looked up Etans. Uh, Etans actually is an old English word. It means giants. Oh. In uh, Norse or whatever that language would be, it would be uh, they probably use the word Jotun. Oh, okay. Which yeah, I'm yeah. sure, yeah, you're familiar with Jotunheim from Thor being the home of the frost giants. So. Makes mm -hmm. more sense. Referred to as the Etans by the Vikings. Um, in reality, yes, blah, blah, blah. Um, the others were culture bearers, or they would attempt to share their culture, their technology, and uh, their knowledge their and wisdom. To enrich. Ah, uh, yes. Their goal was to enrich and benefit not only themselves, but the, the people with which they were sharing all of their knowledge with. He then turns to Norse mythology when Hammond asks for possible examples. Now, he calls it Thor's hammer. I found that upsetting. I know you found that slightly upsetting and frustrating because yeah, he should have name. said uh, Mjolnir. But here's, another, here's something really interesting. When they were doing all this conversation about uh, where to go or what to look for, Jack was the one who actually was uh, the one to simplify everything mm -hmm. for, for uh, Don Davis or General Hammond which I found a bit weird, and I had to poke fun at this whole moment, because in the future, and even in the past, we've seen he's the one who needs the simplification most of the time, and the role sort, you sort know of gets I reversed. Like he doesn't really need the simplification. I think he, he plays just it. is, like, too annoyed to deal with it himself. So he's like, just, just give it to me. Just uh, yeah. lay it on me. I think he's smarter than he looks. Yeah. He has to have been Absolutely. to make it to all the way to Colonel. Right, he's and not to be stupid. given a, a a post in a top secret like action, you know. He's no he's no fool. He just pretends to be a fool, and I think he likes it. He prefers not to think about things. He'd prefer only. I mean, it's probably a means of focus for him. He'd rather focus on the mission at hand than focus on the details and the the archaeology, as it were. So it makes yeah, sense for his character and in, in the overall. more of an action oriented person. Yeah. As they're discussing, um, Daniel ends up showing a picture of Thor's hammer. Teal recognizes the hammer as being from a world, a world called Samaria, uh, and he explains that it's forbidden to go there. Um, he says it's beyond dangerous for the Gould, as they never return. So Hammond and Jack both agree at the same time and say, I like the sound of that. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. But the fact that they both agree that they like the sound of that, even though it could be extremely dangerous for them. They have no idea. They're just like, yeah, fuck it, go. It, don't get me wrong here. Don't you think it may have been a good idea to leave Teal'c behind? I'm going to throw that right back at you and say, what is that, Ryan? <laughs> it's a plot device. <laughs> yeah. The ba, smart ba, thing, ba. The smart thing would have been to think think that through and say, well, maybe it's not a good idea that we bring someone who used to work for the Gould. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, that there are some sort of 
defenses on this planet that are specifically used to target. It's not like they've never seen a sci-fi movie. They're completely aware of Star Wars and Star Trek because Jack Riff references them several times. They straight up live a sci-fi like life. Yeah, but even if that weren't the case, even if they this was a real thing, it's not like they've never seen sci-fi. There's no this like this this is an advanced alien race that is specifically targeting Gould. You would think that they would probably have defenses that are automatic and shoot Gould on sight. Probably yeah, you I I mean yes. I I agree totally with what your statement is, but as I referred earlier back to you, this is a plot device to move, move us forward, and obviously there would be no story without him. It would have just played out differently, but yeah, I get it. Uh, there wouldn't have been as engaging of a story, I should say. It would have been one of those missions where they just go and they have a conversation and then they leave, and nothing fun happens. I guess. Sort of how Emancipation should have just ended, yeah. but, it, but it didn't, and it got ridiculous and comical. Why won't you end? <laughs> to reiterate, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Okay. All right. As long, as, as long as you agree with me. Yeah. Uh, so after that, we'll cut to the gate room. Uh, Hammond brings in a Sagan Institute box. Um, I yeah. guess Daniel asked to have it made. It's designed to bring information about our history and culture uh, in the event of first contact with an alien race from a distant planet. At the time, I don't think there was actually a Carl Sagan Institute. But currently there is. Uh, it's out of Cornell University in Ithaca, mm-hmm. New York, which is not uh, it's a hop, skip, and a jump away from us. Uh, so it's not too far. And their mission, obviously, is to discover life on other planets. Cheeky enough, as it is. Yeah, you know, something that could have mixed results, of course. Yeah. Um, what they don't mention in this, in this episode is that the Sagan Institute box has also been irradiated with a non-lethal form of radiation, but obviously it gives them an identifiable signature for the box, um, which is interesting. It gets used as a plot device later on. Just thought I'd throw it out there. Track it. <laughs> make sure you can keep tabs on it. Uh, there's also a bit of a goof right, right after this, where Daniel takes the box, mm-hmm. and he walks up to the gate right next to the mouth. So Daniel's sitting there um, next to the mouth, and then... You're listening as the chevrons get encoded. If he stands there, going to die. Like, it's already been... The thing, like, shoots out, right? Yeah, it's been fully established that anything that sits in the event horizon as it opens up is going to get swallowed in and and be destroyed. Dematerialized immediately and never never to return. He can get out of the way, but the Malp certainly won't be able to get out of the way in time. They're already chevron encoding three of them by the time... We see everything. It's like, God damn it! Nobody obviously was paying attention, or they didn't care this early in the episode, uh, in, yeah. early, this early in the seasons. Skip to the planet of Samaria. Um, okay, how many Conan the Barbarians do we see? <laughs> There's quite a lot of barbarians on that on that episode. Or sorry, in this uh, this planet that we see, but we obviously pan in on this large stru- uh, stone structure, that cartoonish-looking hammer. And I say cartoonish because it is very cartoonish. It is. It's a well-made prop, but it is also, like, I guess much, much cleaner than you would expect it to be. Who's going out there to clean this thing every other day? Unless it's made out of some sort of alien material that doesn't allow it to get dirty. You know what that sounds like to me, Kevin? Plot device. Plot device. 
Uh, however, the, the, um, the hammer itself, I totally put that over my front door. hundred oh, percent. Yeah, for sure. It's cool. I like it. It's definitely something they should make a collectible out of. So this, this particular stone structure stands overlooking the gate. Uh, I would say it's probably about 12 feet high. It's double. It, it's big. I would be, say it's more like 24. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, up there. 20 feet high or something like that. It's pretty high up. Yeah, it's big. And if you look, as soon as they come out... So the the, the idea behind the map is to go first, to probe, and make sure it's safe to go through the gate. There's a small shot as they're coming out where there's no map at all in, in the vicinity of the gate at all. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, yes, I did. Oh, yeah, there it's 100% gone. It's not there. Doesn't exist. And then shortly after everything everything goes down, you can actually see the map show up out of nowhere. So <laughs> either they sent the map last, which doesn't make any sense because that's not what the map is for, since it's a probe, or they messed up and the continuity failed them a little bit. Whoever was paying attention that day on set wasn't paying attention well enough. Whoops-a-doodle. Whoops-a-doodles. So as the team comes through the, the gate, uh, people start to laugh at them because they come out in the cartoonish manner, very vaudevillian, falling over on their asses, which I don't know why that happened this particular Yeah, scene. like they come out of the gate like... Just walking. Like waltzing Just walking out. most of the time. Yeah, it's not like they... Like, I don't understand what their deal is maybe it's that maybe they're trying to convey the fact that uh, difficult to determine how gravity will work with them i don't know it, it just seems kind of baloney yeah maybe there's a different gravitational pull on this planet well if that's true they they never actually experience that any point after this uh, it happens a few times but not to this extent i don't remember but most of the time like 99 percent of the time they walk through a gate and they come out walking the other side. Well, I'm talking about in this episode, like they don't trip or fall or show any indication that they're clumsy. That they're like, a, in or a, there's a difference in gravity, type of gravity or something yeah. like that. I, yeah, I don't even know what to say to that. The people end up starting to chant Thor, 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 while at the same time the structure behind uh, near the gate starts to emit a sound as if it was powering up to do something. Uh, as Carter says, it's building up a charge. You can actually see the goddamn Melp sitting there right next to them. <laughs> um, and then just as uh, Jack says, maybe we should leave, the hammer begins shooting out a beam, which um, you kind of get the feeling it's scanning them because it's not really doing anything. So you have to yeah. assume it's scanning at that point. Uh, and then it sits on Tilk, and he begins to shout in uh, immense pain. Uh, and then Jack jumps at him to get him out of the way of the beam and that's when they both instantaneously disappear. Ooh. To me it looked like they got sucked into the beam. They got sucked off by the beam. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's probably what could have happened. I mean, we do find out it's a transporter beam of some kind. Number 1. Transport but two. Engage. Engage. So after the opening credits, uh, Daniel makes the most obvious statement in the world, saying, this must be Thor's hammer. 
Once again, not referencing the fact that it's called Molnir, but just calling it Thor's hammer. Thor's hammer. Um, Sam refuses to believe they're dead, as she believes that Thor liked humans enough and would go out of the way to protect them. So even if they were to be destroyed, he would have some sort of backup. She's thinking sci-fi. Everyone else is thinking not sci-fi. Know what I'm saying? She is. She's got the... uh... She's referencing like a specific alien based on the mythology that they analyzed. So just then, uh, Ryder makes their way on horseback to the gate. It's Garwin and her welcoming committee. Obviously, Sam and Daniel are more concerned about trying to figure out what happened to Jack and Tilk. Garwin realizes after talking to them for a few minutes that they're actually humans like them. And then Daniel fills in the blank by stating that they're from Midgard. In this case, Midgard to them is the first world. Uh, where they were from originally. And after some back and forth, they come to discover another person was taken by the beam. And this ends up being uh, Kendra. And she was found in the mountains, half-frozen. Garwin survived very long. Garwin agrees to take them to Kendra to see if they can find out where Jack and Tilk might be. Um, Cut to Jack and Tilk. They wake up in a dark, scary cave. Now, this is the first time Jack actually has referred to him as Junior, I think. The symbiote, in this case. His gold. Yeah, and I remember that as being a pretty big thing back when this the show was going, that he would call him Junior all the time. Tilk's Junior. Yeah. So uh, Tilk says he's doing, uh, he's okay, but that caused him uh, quite a lot of pain. Oh, sorry, the symbiote went through some great pain through the beam. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, we actually see the symbiote, you know, pop its head out. Yeah, alien style. I always hated that. I, I hate that effect, and I'm glad they stopped doing it after a while. It's so gross. I'd like <laughs> to know what I like to know what the slime is that they put on it. Yeah, KY jelly maybe. Oh fuck, that's like gross. Something like just, you know, it's like. A... I wonder if they just take a weird uh, random vibrator and they just stick lots of KY jelly and some fangs on it, <laughs> and then they just turn it on and it goes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing like a, a really just shittier version of that uh, <laughs> like the dollar store version the dollar adult store version of uh, of that yeah exactly like a an extreme camera close up on something that's clearly not even like a, a, a faked out like human torso it's just like some cray paper or whatever cut in half yeah. and then like the the like vibrator with like things like glued on it pops out and it's like that's so Matt Damon (laughs) Matt Damon Matt Damon fucked up (laughs) 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 back to the cave back to the cave damn it the cave they're just waking up they are making sure they're all right and then they run into a hologram what they think is an, a projection of Thor from far away telling him what he's got to deal with, but is in fact just a hologram recording of Thor in the shape of a Viking. Now, uh, here's a fun fact for you about this particular hologram uh, in the appearance of a Viking. That's actually played by Mark Gibbon. Uh, now, that means nothing to you, but Mark Gibbon will play a uh, Jaffa later on uh, and actually pretty prominent Jaffa in a couple of episodes that interact specifically with Teal'c during their rebel Jaffa phase. There's a fun fact. Just want everybody to know that one. 
the recording obviously tells them you have um, two choices. You can live out the rest of your days here in a cave with the basic sustenance, none of your luxuries. Or you can attempt to face Thor's hammer. Uh, actually, this is where he actually refers to it as Molnir. He calls it the hold of Molnir, and you can face the hammer. He doesn't actually refer to the hammer as Mjolnir. He only refers to the hall of Mjolnir. Now, do you think that these things come as a package? Like, uh, they unpack it, and the, the hammer is where the door is, and they just have to pull it out and set it up, and then they have the, the part that teleports them, and then they have the door that hurts the ghoul, and they pick it up from um, Asgard Mart. <laughs> What's funny is we never see this technology again. What? Yeah, never see this technology ever again. You think if they had something that was that effective, that they'd be everywhere? Mm-hmm. That they, but I'm guessing they only have these particular hammers on protected planets. Um, yeah, maybe it's just really difficult to actually set it up. I don't know how difficult it is. I just don't think they have the time. I don't really want to spoil anything. The Asgard start to play a more prominent role in the second season. I don't want to, I don't okay. want to get too far ahead. Got it, got It'll, it. Um, so after they listen to the... Um, we'll see. We go back to um, to Jackson and Carter uh, with help from Gerwin. They go and they talked to uh, Kedra who we find out was once a Gold host, uh, and she managed to trick her Gold host into coming to this world. She, she basically taunted the symbiote with uh, faking out that it's, it's full of riches, and she ended up coming to this planet and then getting sucked off by the... By the <laughs> I love using that phrase. Have you ever seen that uh, show, Ghosts? Yes. It's a new one on Paramount. Uh, they refer to someone who ascends after having been a ghost as being sucked off. <laughs> That's quite funny. That's great. <laughs> um, so Kendra obviously explains she was once a gold host. She knows how to use their technology, as you can see that she's healing that kid's wrist. She tricks her host into coming to Samaria to face the hammer to say if they can defeat it, they can get a whole bunch of uh, gold and riches and all that jazz. Obviously, the gold falls for it, and she ends up uh, escaping and becoming free. And now she lives in, the, in Samaria to live uh, to live with Thor, or live as Thor would have them live. So after all, all that jazz, I think what the most prominent part of this particular scene is that adding, you know those shows that add those devices that seem to solve the whole plot. Like in in, um, in the instance of Voyager. They did it constantly throughout Voyager where they would come across a technology that could essentially either shave off most of the years of their trip back home to Earth from mm -hmm. the Delta Quadrant or completely cancel out the entirety of the trip. This yeah, is one of those a, devices. It's called the uh, yeah. uh, plot device. Yeah, it's one of those plot devices. And obviously it's one of those things where it ends up failing at the very last moment, and the heroes are the ones who end up having to choose to destroy it because they can't allow it to fall in the enemy hands or, or in this case, kill one of their friends. I, I, love those, I love those episodes because they show how corny 90s television can get. Because it happens all yeah. the time. Everything was everything was extreme. Extreme wormhole. Wormhole extreme. extreme. Back to the labyrinth. 
Uh, O'Neill and Teal'c realize they aren't alone in this cave. Um, There's some creepy, shadowy figure that seems to be following them, and they end up discovering... Now, the the first shot of uh, the Unis, I thought was great. Uh, It was so creepy. It's a really good monster, right? Really good makeup. Really good makeup. Yeah, what's real interesting is that the Unas end up being a lot different later on. They look, they kind of look like this, but at the same time, they don't have like the weird teeth around their mouth. Okay. Um, and and they're not as gray, but that could just be like the same thing that would happen to us if we lived in a cave for centuries. Uh, we would have really, really pale skin. That could just be what's happening to the Unas. That can be easily explained away. You would like turn that. into a Morlock. Yeah. The Unas itself is the first host uh, race for the Go- used by the Gold. Teal'c ends up calling it a myth. What's interesting is that eventually, um, using the Stargate network, they end up finding the original home of the Gold. Uh, I believe it's P3X 888. And the only reason I remember that is because it's very easy to remember. Because it's P3X 888. They end up finding the Unas there and finding symbiotes in their uh, larval form there as well. The interesting thing is whether or not those symbiotes are sentient, like the ones that we run into, or whether or not they are less sentient or right. Uh, Essentially, like how if an alien came to Earth and found, uh, you know, an ape, and uh, like, oh, is it ape or is it man? Yeah, it would be hard to tell the difference between primates. I mean, we all look the same. I'm pretty hairy myself. Yeah. In case you don't know what Kevin looks like, he is a 99.9% hair. He's essentially a cousin it. (laughs) Something like that, except not red hair. It's all brown. Yeah. (laughs) They end up testing their weapons. Teal staff weapon obviously doesn't work because uh, it's a Gould weapon, and obviously the Asgard were smart enough to think maybe we shouldn't let them use their staff weapons. They could probably get out. Dampeners. But obviously the bullets work in O'Neill's, so he's going to use them, and they attempt to kill the alien. Um, and although it looks that way, and the thing is bleeding like liquid green, it's kind of gross, actually. It kind of looks like Spock. Spock's blood in Star yeah. Trek, except it's like glow-in-the-dark. Yeah, yeah, like just uh, bright. Extremely bright, even in darkness. Neon. Yeah. Obviously the first, the first one is uh, unsuccessful. Then we cut to cut back to Kendra and Jackson and Sam, and they are attempting to uh, convince Kendra to help them. But Kendra needs some needs some encouragement. She needs some encouragement from the big man, Thor. So they they do a little bit of a ritual where she puts a bunch of stones down on the ground. She says she has to read the runes, but I don't remember seeing any runes anywhere. Did you? The only rune that I saw in the whole episode was the one that. Daniel gets at the end. Yeah, the only ones I really saw were on the stone structure of Thor's hammer at the gate. Or there too, yeah. Yeah, and the ones that he obviously gets at the end. Maybe she was doing something like um, scrying the bones, <laughs> like where they take like bones and read the fortune off of them. Yeah, something like that. But it's not voodoo. It's Norse. No, voodoo. they they did something like that in. Um, 
in Celtic folklore. Anyway, so she's sitting there. Eventually, she's convinced by some oncoming thunder and lightning. Thor wants her to help, so she essentially leads them uh, to what she thinks is where the cave is. Now, along the way, we end up discovering that um, she may be... She's not really deceiving them. She may be just subconsciously trying not to get back there, or at least that's what Sam thinks is going on. Speaking of Sam, it didn't feel like she had a really prominent role in this episode. No, no, she was there, but she wasn't like... It kind of felt like they were switching. You know how they they were kind of balancing between Teal'c and Sam as the the tertiary character Mm -hmm. in these first couple of episodes where if Sam had a more prominent role... Teal'c would sort of been in the back background, and if Teal'c had a more uh, prominent role, Sam was kind of in the background. So she yeah, was there, agreed. but Teal'c was more prominent in this episode. So it was like they were trying to find that that four pack that works. But I was okay with it. I wasn't yeah, really. I mean, any anytime we get more Big Papa T, I'm happy. Yeah, it's not like we don't get to see Carter in more episodes coming up. And eventually they do find a good balance where all four of them sort of take on their own main character role. And eventually it becomes, uh, it goes in the opposite direction, very, very far in the future, where Jack becomes the background character. That's a far way. That's far away away. We got Jack for a long time. Don't worry. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, uh, I feel like in some of these episodes, he's like, uh, definitely a commanding character, but he's not necessarily the character you see the most. No, it feels like they were trying to make Daniel the the main character. Um, cut back after a few back and forths with um with Kendra Jackson and um and Carter, where they eventually do find the cave. Uh, we cut back to Teal'c and O'Neill. Um, they are running away because they end up hearing the. Giant Unas has uh, risen from the dead, even though they thought he was dead. Yeah, they hear uh, some like fairly. Do you think? Uh, do you think James Earl Jones did those roars, or did they just get some? Uh, uh, in my head, canon, he did. Yeah, in my in my yeah. head, they also he also did that. Yes, yeah. James Earl Jones is the shit. But... They were vicious yells. I mean, if you're gonna get somebody to yell, you get you get the best. You get the best. You get the best. You receive the best. <laughs> <laughs> but here's some very prominent roars, and uh, the guys end up having to uh, hurry their pace to sort of escape. Teal'c and O'Neill sort of run into him again, where he uh, he tries to convince Teal'c to help him. And then he says, well, maybe I can help you get out of here. Uh, and then Jack goes, well, how about a map? And then he shoots him up a bunch. I like that's <laughs> a that's a giggle moment for me. Yeah, because as soon as he says that, you already know what the next thing is going to be because he's already got the gun up in this and is ready to pull the trigger. He just goes, "Well, how about a map? That'll do." And then just pow, 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 pew, 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 I'm going to leave those sound effects, people. Those are grade A. Sound effects. effects. Make some soundboards out of those suckers. So they shoot him a bunch again. He ends up falling, but obviously not dead. And so they make their way, and eventually they reach the Hall of Mjolnir. Uh, Jack goes through the archway that looks like a hammer to try and escape. Uh, As soon as the door opens up, he realizes Tilt can't get through, and he gets caught up in the the red blur of light. 
uh, and looks as though he's going to die. But obviously Jack runs in, pushes him back, so he's okay. And that's when the Unas shows back up. Uh, meanwhile, from the outside, we see that Kendra, Jackson, and Carter are making their way into the hall of Molnir, And uh, they're trying to get in there before while all of this crazy stuff is happening. Even though I don't think they can hear what's going on at all, other than the gunfire that they hear uh, in the next couple of seconds. So they unload on the Unas again. Obviously not working. Papa T throws out a good line. What's that good line? <laughs> I don't remember. You don't remember I it don't at all. Remember. He said, I want to get it specifically right. Where did I write that down? Are you considering the same tactic as I? In this case, it looks like the cliche, or O'Neill's like, Tilk, the cliche is, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And the answer is yes. Obviously, they're thinking, we got to get the Unas into the hammer, and um, that should kill him and take care of him. Uh, so there's a bit of a struggle. Big Papa T picks, picks up a staff weapon, starts to try and beat, beat his ass, and then eventually they have to, uh, they manage to get him close enough after shooting him a bunch more uh, he ends up falling into the, the red uh, hammer and is then taken out. So the ghoul ends up dying, and the Unas has suffered so much that he can't actually regenerate himself, and he uh, he also perishes, which is unfortunate. Do you remember the Ood from the Doctor Who? Uh, no, I don't think I watched that much Doctor Who. Oh, the Ood are like a like a race of beings with a, with a brain on the outside, a brain on the inside, and then there's a third shared brain between them. Now that isn't prominent to this to the uh, point I'm trying to make. The Ood sort of get done dirty early on in in the newest series of Doctor Who. He fails to save them multiple times, and they sort of get screwed. So they get the short end of the stick a lot. Um, I feel like the Unas are that for the Stargate. They kind of get the short straw a lot. This was species that had bad luck of uh, encountering the Gould. Well, they happened to be born on the same planet that the Gould were, so they got screwed there. Uh, they end up being used as the first hosts, screwed again. Uh, later on in their journey, they are used as beasts of burden by uh, human beings on other planets. We will find that yep. out. Uh, so they get screwed triply. They just get screwed everywhere. I feel bad. The three way. Yeah, they don't think it's screwed all over the place. Not in the good kind of screwed. So they're left there with the uh, the ghoul dead, and then they have to figure out a way to get Teal'c out. Um, and this is where one of the heroes has to make a choice. He's got to make a choice. Either he could save Teal'c's life now, or he could save Jackson's wife and uh, his brother-in-law later and just leave Teal'c there. Which one do they choose? Obviously, uh, Big Papa well, It seems like, you know, the decision is being decided by Jack, but then Jack uh, gives the weapon to Jackson. They're pondering for a moment, and it's honestly just a brief moment. Uh, he goes and blasts the top of the arch, and it powers down. This is really establishing the team as a whole. Where, yeah, um, that, they have, that they have faith that uh, they'll find another way to, to well, free his wife. I think if I were if I were Daniel at that point, I would be sitting there thinking to myself, maybe we can find the the Asgard. 
If the Asgard know how to take out the how take out the gold without killing the host, then they can help me. And so this isn't the only device in the universe. So they got. I think they yeah, take their Daniel would think very logically. He would. He would definitely, even though it's the heat of the moment, you know, I think he would. Yeah, go down that route. Yeah, I would. I would make the same decision as him. I'm like, I can't leave Big Papa T here. He's done too much for me, and I have to do this for him. So yeah, I'd make. I'd make the same choice. They end up leaving the the Sagan box with Garwin and said, if the Asgard ever come back, could you give this to them and tell them we're looking for them? They end, uh, they end up destroying the only defense that that planet has. And you gotta think that that's going to be a big plot point in the future. Spoiler alert, it is. Uh, <laughs> that other episode I was mentioning, Thor's Chariot, we will revisit Samaria after we determine what happens with Thor's hammer being destroyed. Uh, that's that's actually the episode where we will meet the Asgard for real. I'm very looking much looking forward to that. For reals, yo. For reals, yo. And that's the end of the episode, pretty much. Yeah, it's, yeah that's it, pretty much it. It's a solid effort of an episode from someone who we thought was a terrible writer. It had everything. It had action. It had monsters. Uh, it didn't have love. Well, no, a little bit of love, I guess, for Big Papa T. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Shari was in there a little bit, but I mean, you know, you know, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I enjoyed this episode immensely, and uh, I'm going to share some fun facts. Let's okay. share some fun facts after I've watched that episode. Those fun facts. Um, this is the first time we learn about the Asgard in general. This is the first time we've met them. Not sorry, not met them, but learned about them. We will not see them again until that second season episode, Thor's Chariot unfortunately now there will be some uh, a few things here and there where we'll we'll get hints of them in the background like uh the torment of tantalus which we will watch next week uh has some asgard uh bits and pieces which was nice Ooh. uh i did mention that this is the first time that jack refers to t symbiote as junior t being tilk i'm just shortening it because i like to this is not the first time that james earl jones only does the voice for a character, uh, and we obviously know who that big character is, right, Ryan? Uh, we do. That uh, that character's name is Darth Vader. Oh, I was going to say Anakin Skywalker, but I was close. <laughs> technically the same character. Uh, yeah, so yeah. So that's, um, that's some interesting facts about that episode. Sorry, this episode also marks the, the, the first mention and the appearance of the Unas. Now, if you've seen the if you've seen the movie, right, the yep. Stargate movie, mm-hmm. there's some debate amongst Stargaters about what Ra, what body he was using. Some people seem to think that it was an Unas, like you know how when he shows up, he's sort of he's the last of his race, he's dying. Even right. though we know for a fact he's not the last of his race, but he is dying. Uh, some people think it's the Unas. Other people actually think it might be what, you know, spoiler alert, what the Asgard actually look like. Okay. Like, he, he's the little gray aliens. Mm-hmm. He, he actually managed to steal an Asgard body, and it was incompatible, so he made his escape from the Asgard. And I think this might actually be in, in one of their, the books or, the, or, or something like that. So he makes his way to Earth and eventually finds us, and he starts using us because we're more compatible. As a species. I thought that was another fun fact I threw out there. Marduk, the Gua'uld 
Kendra mentions in this episode, uh, later appears in an episode uh, of SG-1. In some, sometime in season five. Oh, so not so, for a while. No, not for a while, but it's very interesting that they like to bring them back, which I find to be awesome. Good continuity. That's really all the fun facts that I have got, other than that one goof we were talking about. Um, let's start with the rewatchability scale. Okay. What's, what's, okay. what's, what's rewatchability on this one for you, buddy? Uh, honestly, I'd give it a five. Nice. Is this your first five? I think this is Ryan's first five. This is my first five. Nice. Why did you give it a five? I like you said, it has everything. It's uh, got action. It's got science. It's got fiction. Do you ever think you'd yeah. be giving a Catherine Powers episode a five? No way in hell. <laughs> no, no sir. No, I did not. Um, so this one, kudos, I... kudos to to Catherine for uh, for coming back from. Uh, a homework stealing rampage. <laughs> this one for me is a four point five. Uh, okay, and I only say that because I don't. I think the next one is really my main five. This is a four and a half for me. Uh, it's very important to watch this episode for the overarching story in in multitude of ways. Not only because we see the Asgard more prominently interact with us later seasons, but because they're. I mean, they become one of the biggest allies that we have towards the end of the series. Now, this um, one establishes a lot of like additional lore about both the antagonists and uh, potential like protagonists. I believe this is the first time that someone actually mentions that the... Actually, I believe it's Daniel mentions the fact that they know uh, the Gould are parasites. They don't build their technology, they steal it. So they he he's under the assumption that they are not the gate builders. Now he thinks that the Asgard might be the gate builders. Another spoiler alert: they're not the gate builders. We'll end up finding out who that race is eventually. But this is a pretty prominent uh, episode where a lot of the yeah, like you said, lore is established uh, and continues on for for multitudes of seasons including going into stargate universe and stargate atlantis this is a very important focal or fulcrum episode i like i like to call it uh because things can things sort of happen perfectly at this one and they go one way or the other that's uh that's pretty much it we would like to ask you to uh, continue listening to us uh, I know the audio from last week's Stargate episode was kind of crappy. I'm sorry about that. Um, I'll try and do better for this this episode. Um, kind of had a, a bit of an issue uh, with recording, but uh, we'll, we'll get there. Please follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We'd love to hear some ideas for stuff you'd like us to review in terms of science fiction. I've seen just about every science fiction thing there is, especially in the last 30 or so years that have come out. Whoa. So, what about Teenagers from Outer Space? Prominent in pop culture? Probably not. It's one of the first science fiction movies. Did you ever watch Beetle... Uh, did I not just say the last 30 years or so? Uh, Have well, you ever I mean, seen Beetleborgs? Of course. Of course yeah. I've seen Beetleborgs. Good. When was I born, Kevin? I don't care. When was I born? I don't know. Don't say it out loud. Okay. <laughs> so follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. At 7 Days to RSG. That's the number 7 and the number 2. Uh, at seven days to RSG. Uh, give us some direct messages. Let us know what you like. Um, let us know how you think we're doing. Let us know if you hate us. Uh, any publicity is good publicity. 
Mark yeah, Twain. Yeah, give us that salt. Uh, today's episode was sponsored by The Shape of Water. Not oh. the movie. Um, if you don't like its current shape, go get yourself a different container. Shape of Water. Now available in your grandmother's urn, the clay vase you made as a kid that you just found in the closet, and the waterbed your parents fucked on to conceive you. Oh, God, Kevin. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> All this and many more disturbing shapes your brain chooses to forget on a daily basis. Well, don't forget you can freeze it. You can freeze yep. it in any shape you like. You can cube it. You can turn it into a popsicle. You can even make a paper mache fist and freeze it like that. Oh what God. you do with that fist is up to you. Uh, my God, if you're brave enough to find out. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, we wish you seven days to rock and stone, Guardians. Rock and stone. Later. Bye. Bye.